The Diamondbacks continue their strong offseason, re-signing Lourdes Gurriel Jr. to push their payroll to a record uh, $137 million. They're going to continue to invest in the roster, and we're going to discuss that on today's episode of Snakes on the Diamond. So, hello everyone, and welcome in. Hope you had a good Christmas. We're getting right into the thick of the end of the offseason, getting into the start of the 2024 season, which is just in six weeks. And we're going to talk about where the D-backs can continue to add to their Major League roster. Hello, everyone. I am Michael McDermott. I write for Fan Nation's Inside the Diamondbacks. And joining us on today's episode is publisher for our website, Jack Summers. So how are you doing today, Jack? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you? Happy to be on the show. Yeah. Uh, definitely been a lot of... Uh, it's been an exciting offseason so far. Through two months, the Diamondbacks have addressed probably their three biggest needs... First being third baseman, trading for Eugenio Suarez, then adding to the rotation with the signing of left-hander Eduardo Rodriguez, and then Lourdes Gurriel Jr. just kind of stabilized their outfield, give him another right-handed bat. So they still got some work to do, but so far, so good. Yeah, it's kind of funny, though. You know, as much as they've done, doesn't it also feel like it's been a long time since they've done something as we're sitting here waiting for the next couple of moves? Yeah, I was going to say they're big moves. They're, it's been two weeks, I think, since the Rodriguez press conference, although the Guriel signing was last week right? as well. Yeah, it hasn't been very long, but it just feels like it. <laughs> All right. So where do you want to start off here, Mike? So I'd say uh, right now the D-backs, with the recent moves that they made, they are they still got some work to do. Obviously, they have to find their backup catcher. Their current 40-man roster options include Gabriel Moreno, the reigning Gold Glove Award winner, and Jose Herrera, whose bat has been disappointing and has led him to being optioned down to the minor leagues in each of the last two seasons. So they got that, and then they, uh, they're still looking for another bat to add to their lineup, although Hazen mentioned they don't necessarily have to focus in on a strictly a right-hand bat. And then you mentioned the poss- that D-backs might be a little bit thin at shortstop, especially with the recent DFA of Diego Castillo to make the Guriel signing official. That's kind of the main areas. I would say their major league roster probably needs to improve, but they'll also hit the minor league free agent market, probably the, I guess you say, spaghetti method, rotation, and bullpen depth throughout the season. Right. The, the big question is, you know, just how much money they have left to spend. And payroll can be a little bit of a mystery because of the semantics involved. Um, you know, I think a lot of our listeners and readers, they see a lot of numbers out there about payroll. Um, the way we chart it here at Inside the Diamondbacks, we're showing the Diamondbacks approximately $137 million. Um, Some sources will be a slightly, give you a slightly different number. <clears throat> Um, even I think uh, Nick Coro of Central has reported that they're up over 140 based on team sources. Um, I, I think the a couple of explanation points, though, you know, there's straight up payroll, what they're paying their players and what they're paying in terms of guys that are dead money, such as Madison Bumgarner. And then there's uh, Mike. We got an echo I can hear in the background. Um, then there's, um, can you pause? Yeah. Okay. So my talking is coming through 
on your screen and bouncing back to me. You know, like what I was hearing was um, my my words, like a half second behind what I'm actually saying through the microphone on your on the screen. I don't know why. Huh. I can't hear you now. That better? Yeah, now I can hear you. Yeah, my microphone was picking up what was coming out of there, which was just outputting from my monitor. Okay. All right. So um, give me like a countdown, like three, two, one, and I'll, I'll continue. All right. So three, two, one. So uh, sorry for the interruption, but what, what I was talking about was um, the semantics involved um, with uh, talking about payroll. Um, there's a straight-up payroll that you pay your players, including dead money, such as Madison Bumgarner. Um, and then there's usually other categories or factors that get thrown into the competitive balance tax calculation. And the CBT number, that's not necessarily the number that the team's paying out. So, for example, if a guy has an average annual of $20 million per year, then that's what's calculated in the CBT. But that player may only be getting $14 million in 2024, and then he gets escalated salaries and a bonus or whatever, or a buyout guarantee at the end of his contract. So for CBT purposes, for example, Eduardo Rodriguez counts as $20 million average annual, but he's actually only gonna be paid 14 in 2024. Um, so I only use the actual numbers that they're paying in 2024, and that's the way I do it every year so that we're comparing apples to apples. Sometimes team officials will kind of move around the goalpost on how they want to refer to it, depending on how they want to present it. Um, another item that causes a lot of confusion for people is option buyouts. So, for example, Mark Melanson had a $2 million option buyout. And uh, Zach Davies had a half million dollar option buyout. Well, those buyouts are paid. They're already paid in 2023. So that money's gone. That money's already been paid. Now, for CBT purposes, that money is calculated against the 2024 competitive balance tax. But the Diamondbacks aren't actually paying that money this year. Um, so I always include option buyouts in the previous year's money. So I'm not including Melanson and Davies in 2024 money. Uh, now, when the team is talking to other people, maybe they're including it, maybe they're not. It's hard to say, but I know for a fact, um, I had a team official explain to me a couple years ago that option buyouts are paid within that season that they actually had to buy out the player and let him go. It's not paid the following year. So with that, with those caveats, um, I'm at 137 million. 
that includes uh, the additions of um, Lord Escurial Jr., who's only going to be making $10 million this year, $14 million for Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, Eugenio Suarez is making about $11.3 million. So, you know, they've added about $35 million uh, to the payroll um, from where they started off the offseason. So that 137, that represents already really pretty much a a franchise high if we're comparing apples to apples. Their highest uh, previous was 131 million in 2018. Um, so the the big question is is you know just how much more do they have to spend? And we're not really sure. Um, from the Mitch Garver uh, contract where he just got two two years, 24 million. That's pretty good indication that JD Martinez is going to get significantly more than that, right? I mean, yeah. probably at least two years, thirty, two years, thirty-six, maybe even two forty. Um, yeah, so, say, uh, there was definitely a huge disparagement between MLB trade rumors and Fangraphs. Fangraphs meeting crowdsource had, I believe, one in twelve. Which obviously, Martinez in this market's not going to get a one-year deal. Yeah, that's off. That's incorrect. That was uh, MLB Trade Rumors had that, correct? No, it was Fangraphs. It was the Fangraphs meeting crowdsource that had one in 12. Fangraphs, I think, had two years and 44 million uh, on MLB Trade Rumors. That's where the two year deal came in. I see. Yeah. Yeah. JD Martinez has one twelve on roster resources, um, fan, fan crowdsourcing. You're correct. Yeah. Well, that's wrong. He's going to get more than that. Um, that's definitely wrong, especially with Garver getting 224. So, you know, I think that uh, the bare minimum that J.D. Martinez is going to get is a $15 million average annual for 2024. And maybe he'll get a little bit more the next year. I don't know if the, that's a guy that you backload. Um, in my mind, I'm thinking he's probably going to end up around 236. But we'll see. It could, you know, there may be teams that are concerned about his uh, health track record as good as he hit last year. He only had 400 and something plate appearances. Um, you know, he didn't get a, get come to the plate often enough to qualify for the batting title. Um, I don't think you can really count on JD Martinez for more than a hundred games and 400 PA. Can you? No, I was going to say uh, Martinez is one of those guys is it's kind of in the same situation as Mitch Garver, supposedly, although Martinez doesn't have the, emergency catcher situation thing with that Garver can plug in and play a catcher if necessary. Whereas Martinez is unlikely to play a position. Right. Um, you know, you mentioned early, early on Mike Hazen discussing the fact that uh, they could go with either a left hand or a right hand bat. Um, you know, they're not locked in. So when I worked on my playing time projections and tried to map this out and work on lineups, um, one thing that I played with was divvying up a lot of like, you know, half a dozen or more um, DH appearances for all the primary right-handed batters in the lineup. So maybe Gabriel Moreno, Mike Hazel said he's only going to catch 110 to 120 games, but he might put him in a DH five or 10 games to get his bat in the lineup. Um, I think they want to probably avoid Chris Walker, um, you know, getting so run down. He had a really rough last two months of the season, two and a half, three months, <clears throat> you know, so maybe they need to get him off his feet a little bit more. So you might see him DH uh, more than half a dozen times. 
you know, Cattell Marte, same thing. And even Eugenio Suarez, if Emmanuel Rivera is on the roster, maybe, you know, Rivera is probably even a better defender than Suarez. Um, you know, I could easily see them uh, giving Rivera a few more starts at third base and letting Suarez DH. So, you know, the team is going to need 54, 54 starts at DH against a left-handed pitcher. And you have to assume that almost all 54 of those are going to come from a right-handed batter. Um, so that being the case, you know, then it becomes, well, who's going to, if they bring in a left-handed bat, um, you know, who's going to take those uh, DH starts against, against a left-handed pitcher? Um, you know, if they, they can maybe go and, for example, bring in a Jock Peterson, but then they're not never going to play Jock Peterson against a left-handed pitcher. Um, and they've already got Jake McCarthy on the bench and on the current 40-man roster and Paven Smith and um, Dominic Fletcher. They're chock full of left-handed bats, right? So, you know, even with uh, Gurriel out there in left field batting right-handed, they're, they're lacking a, a, a right-handed DH option. So either they're going to go get a right-handed hitter or a switch hitter that they feel confident to let bat right-handed, or they're going to utilize the DH spot uh, quite liberally with some of their key right-handed batters. So that, yeah. So the two, obviously we include Martinez, Reese Hoskins, although I would consider Hoskins as a possibility based on the fact that Hoskins could play first base. Maybe he's your first baseman long-term after this year, if you can get him on a multi-year deal. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that to me the other day. That's a great point. Um, you know, why Hoskins could be a, a good potential fit. Now, the question is, is, you know, what's it going to cost? Yeah. You know, and yeah. obviously there's some create, you could do some like creative contract situations where you can fit them in the 23 pay, a uh, 24 payroll, and maybe you have backloaded to 24 and 25. That's one option. Like kind of like how they did with Bumgarner's contract. Yeah. Yeah. That's a possibility. Um, I mean, I think Hoskins is going to take a three year deal. Yeah. It's hard to backload when it's shorter. Yeah. I mean, but the thing with Hoskins is like, he's, he's probably looking for at least a three year deal, but coming off the kind of knee injury he had, that may be tough to get, right? You've talked before about maybe him needing a pillow contract. Three year and an opt-out or something like that. I would just give him a situation where he's got something, something for uh, 25. If he has an okay season, but something that allow him to re-enter the free agent market. If he had, if he gets back to his career normals in 24 kind right. of situation, I think that's what it'll take. Then, uh, you know, so, I mean, this whole DH conversation, it's a little confusing. Um, you know, how much money do they have to spend? Do they want a righty? Do they want a lefty? Who can they afford? Are they going to trade? Um, we're kind of sitting here in limbo trying to figure everything out. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we're just going to have to wait and see if they pull off a trade. We're going to talk about trade possibilities, too. Um, it, it may be the way to go there if they can get a guy that's pre-ARB or ARB1, doesn't cost so much, and it fits into their budget a little bit better. Yeah, so, so I kind of I looked up three different trade targets for the D-backs. If you look at, uh, obviously, I want to mention the point of Eloy Jimenez and why that's a bad idea, but... Uh, Harold Ramirez was, we floated that about in casual conversation, but one name that I kind of took a look at that might be interesting is Taylor Ward, especially if 
the angels decide to, I guess you can say retool, not necessarily rebuild. Yeah. Necessarily. I'm not really what they're doing at this point. I mean, who have they signed so far? Uh, nobody. They're, they've been linked to a bunch of free, <laughs> bunch of free agents, but not much. I think the latest rumor was Blake Snell. Mm-hmm. Did you happen to get a chance to look what his, uh, you know, ex Wova and all that was? I'm just curious if, uh, I guess 338. So his, the last two years, his uh, batter ball metrics support the production he's put out there anyway. 338 ex Wova, 361, of course, in 2022 when he was good. Um, his Wova last year was 329. The main issue with Ward is health. He's only had one season where he's played 100 games. That's the main problem. Right, but if you look at his uh, if you look at his um Statcast profile, there's a lot of red, and when it's not red, it's gray. So, what do you think the cost for him would be? Probably a little bit. That'll be an interesting case because obviously the Angels can't really get full price for now. Filler with three years of control already in the second arbitration season because Ward has only played a hundred games once. And that was in 22. We played 135. So he played any right field. Yeah. He played right field in the past. He was exclusively, I think left field and DH last year, but he's not that far removed. Oh, 2022 is almost all, all right field. Mostly. Right. Yeah. You could plug in the right field, and if you wanted to keep him healthy, the DH is also an option. You could rotate, rota- uh, possibly rotate him in left field as well if they wanted to go with a better defensive lineup with Gurriel at the DH spot. So it gives you a lot of uh, lineup flexibility if they can get him without paying a premium. 30 years oh. old. So um, has Mike Hazen ever made a trade with uh, the Angels that we can think of? Uh, well, that's what baseball references for <laughs> any major trades i probably yeah no major trades i don't I was just curious if they've even done any minor trades the last trade i can remember for sure was in 13 yeah i would say not or nothing of consequence yeah so um you know dh again you know i I kind of still, <laughs> if they're going to go left-handed, by the way, you know, if they if they decide they want a left-hander, I'm not, I'm not averse at all to Jock Peterson. I don't uh, he's, think- got a lo- go ahead. he's a bounce back. I think he's a big bounce back candidate in uh, 23, especially once you get him out of San Francisco. Yeah. You get him out of that ballpark. You take a look at, um, you know, I, I think his, uh, he had like the fourth or fifth highest gap between his, uh, you know, ex Woba and Woba. In other words, his batted ball metric showed that he was uh, a bit unlucky last year as well. And and there's definitely some park factor involved in that. A lot of times, guys that overperform their their ex stats are playing in good hitters parks, and vice versa. Guys that underperform the ex stats are in in bad bad hitters parks, and that's certainly the case for him. So yeah. I. I Backhand of that, I, I, I th- he didn't even have a bad year last year. It just wasn't one of his better ones. Counting stats wise, you would say it was a bad year, but if you look at the the rate stats, the rate stats are a little bit better. Yeah. 
So, but I mean, like, you know, as Mike Hazen often says, if a guy's coming off a really good year, it's kind of hard to get him. I mean, that's the whole point, right? You know, you want to buy low or you want to buy high? Yeah, you want to buy low and everyone wants to buy low and sell high. I mean, he still had the 111 WRC plus last year. So he was 11% better than league average on a rate basis. Um, Due to a pretty high walk rate too, so. Yeah. 57 walks and 425 plate appearances. Yeah, 13.4%. Pretty high. Um, You know, he was killer in 2022. He had 146 WRC plus. 21, he had, and 20, he was bad. You know, so. It's tough. I mean, his projection is 119, but I don't know what that means at this point. I mean, the thing you ask yourself is, uh, is Jock Peterson a $12 million, $12, $13 million upgrade over Paven Smith worthwhile? That's the question we all have to ask. Yeah, I don't think he's going to get that much. I think that coming off uh, a year where the batting average was depressed to 235, I don't think he gets $12 million. You know, I think it's. I think in his case, he's more likely to get nine or ten. I think the the crowdsourcing's a little high on him. Yeah, if you look at Peterson's twenty two numbers, uh, he had pr- pretty elite contact profile, despite maybe not getting the optimal launch angles consistently, and below average whiff and strikeout rates, which obviously got better in twenty three. Right. Sagan. And, uh, you know, I mentioned the other day when I was talking with uh, our friend Jesse Friedman over at PHNX about uh, Carlos Santana. You know, he's a switch. Um, You know, he's in in total, he's only been league average the last couple of years, um, which you want more than a league average hitter for for your DH. Um, But he's been actually quite a bit better against left-hand pitching. So if they're, you know, if they brought in a guy like that and he didn't cost too much, you know, the Fangraphs crowdsourcing thinks 7 million, um, you know, he could potentially give you 10 or 20% above league average production against left-hand pitching based on what he's done the last two, three years. Um, You know, the question is, is would he be willing to accept more of a part-time role and just, you know, get 300 plate appearances? And do the Diamondbacks want to invest $7 million in a guy they're only giving him 300 plate appearances to? I think the, the latter question is the bigger one than the former. I think from a fit standpoint, Santana makes a lot of sense. You can plug him in as your left hand, uh, your right hand DH and also solves the uh, backup first baseman need right. as well. Because he's a, uh, I don't remember if he was a gold glove finalist, but he put up competent numbers defensively at first base last year. Double check to see if he has. If he was a finalist or not, obviously Walker won the award. Uh, won, won the award. Right. All right. Yeah. Santana was a finalist along with uh, Freddie Freeman. So, um, kind of. You know, I just think that uh, if we're going to stay on DH for a little bit, then maybe we should kind of segue into a couple of trade targets. Um, you know, everybody wants J.D. Martinez, and Reese Hoskins would be a great uh, option as well. Um, lots of questions around money. Uh, maybe Jock Peterson, Carlos Santana, guys like that would be a little bit cheaper. 
Um, but again, may even then still be too expensive, possibly. Um, you know, they they missed an opportunity maybe to get a guy like a Tom Murphy for, you know, for me. Who could have been your backup catcher slash DH yeah. so, situation. You know, they uh, either weren't in on him or they just missed the chance on him. Um, so we were talking about trade possibilities. Okay, so if they're not going to go out and spend a lot of money on a DH, is there, you know, we talked about Taylor Ward. Who else you got on the trade front? There weren't a lot. Uh, I was looking up free agent classes on, there's just not a lot the D-backs could get that really improves the, the club. Like if they wanted to add more outfield depth, maybe they'd target Lane Thomas or Ramon Laureano. Although, like I said, Lane Thomas is probably the better fit because he has a track record of crushing left-hand pitching. And fall below average could give you some coverage in right field as well. Um, Harold Ramirez over in Tampa Bay has been a popular name popping out from time to time on this front. Uh, but he seems like a guy that overperformed his underlying peripherals and batting ball metrics. Um, and he doesn't really look like a 300 hitter to me, even though he's done it two years in a row. So maybe maybe it's time to kind of start believing in his numbers and disregard the the, yeah, the yeah. tricks. I don't know. The underlying bad ball metrics are very scary. Not there's not much there's not much plate discipline. There's not it doesn't necessarily make the optimal kind of contact you're looking for. As well, despite an above average strikeout rate. That's one of those trade targets I would say buyer beware. Yeah, so I think at this point, you know, obviously we we have no choice anyway. We just have to wait it out, see what Mike Hazen wants to do, um, see how far he's he's able to go further beyond this point with the payroll. Um, the other thing, you know, we talk about the backup catcher, kind of moving on to that a little bit. Um, a lot of backup catchers have already been signed. You know, I'm looking at the list of uh, catchers that actually already have a deal. And... Uh, so, I mean, Mitch Garver, DH slash catcher, he signed for 224. Houston just signed Victor Caratini for two years, 12 million. That's 6 million a year. We just talked about Tom Murphy. He, he signed for two years, 8.25 with the Giants. That's four, 4 million a year. Austin Hedges, one year, 4 million with, with Texas. I'm sorry, with Cleveland. Uh, Martin Maldonado went to the White Sox for one, one year. Four million. Uh, Luke uh, Maye, is that how you pronounce his name? M A I L E. Mally or Maye? How did I pronounce that? I think anyway. it's Maley. Maley. Okay. So the Reds brought him back one year, three and a half. Eric Hayes signed with Milwaukee for one year, one million. And then Maldonado recently signed with Chicago. Yeah, I, I mentioned him. Maldonado, oh. year, four million. Um, Austin wins. One year, 900000 And then a few guys on minor league contracts. Chad Wallach, Roberto Perez, uh, went to the Angels and the Red Sox, respectively. Francisco Mejia also went to the Angels on a minor league deal. And Jorge Alfaro. So, you know, we had looked at a few guys. Uh, one guy that the Diamondbacks had been linked to, and we've written about a couple of times, is uh, Tucker Barnhart. 
who was most recently with the Cubs. Before that, he was with the Tigers. So he hasn't signed yet. Um, so based on Murphy, Hedges, Maldonado, Malley, all getting about $4 million a year, and Victor Caratini getting six. I mean, Barnhart's probably got to be looking for similar money, right? I would think Barnhart's going to get uh, probably close to two to three million if he doesn't sign a if he doesn't sign a minor league contract. Obviously, given the age and the fact that his bat is completely cratered the last couple of years, it's. Uh, I'm not exactly sure if he gets a major league deal in the first place. Yeah. I think he gets a major league deal just based on his defense and experience. I, I really do. But like you said, maybe, maybe it'll be a little bit lower. So, I mean, maybe the Diamondbacks offered him, you know, a couple of two, three million, and he's looking around and trying to get better, uh, better than that. And, uh, you know, these other guys are going off the board. Um, Gary Sanchez, Michael Perez, Yasmani Grandal. I mean, what do you think about any of those guys? I would avoid Grandal for sure. Roster resource has him one year, six million. It's like Grand. It's like Grandal is someone who a good hitter, but I have questions about the glove and pitch calling kind of thing. I, that's right. where I'm concerned with. So the one thing, you know, I, I kind of pressed um, Mike Hayes in a little bit when I, when we spoke, um, whether or not incumbency matters so much at catcher. In other words, a lot of people are just taking it for granted that um, Jose Herrera is going to be the backup catcher. But from the beginning of the offseason, you know, Hazen has talked about wanting to upgrade the backup catching position. Um, he's mentioned it several times and, you know, Herrera has not hit at all at the major league level, and his defense has only been average at best. So, you know, for any listeners out there wondering, like, why are we focused on backup catching? It's because the Diamondbacks don't really think that Herrera is going to be able to be somebody that's reliable. And at the same time, you know, if Gabby got hurt, if Gabby Moreno got hurt, now you've got Herrera and then whatever, um, you know, non-40-man roster options they have, uh, you know, a couple of guys in the minors. Uh, we've written about the catching depth that they that they had last year. They they signed uh, Ronaldo Hernandez to a uh, minor league contract. Guy's got some power, but you know, somehow never managed to get even one major league plate appearance with the Red Sox, despite hitting what thirty four homers the last two years. Yeah, it was thirty. Yeah, seventeen each season. Yeah, so. I mean, how's a catcher that pops 17 homers a year and not even get one major league at bat? Got to be something going on there. Yeah. So, you know, D-backs, a lot of people are like, just get a DH, you know, don't worry about your backup catcher. But all it takes is, you know, I mean, we look at the scares we had during the postseason. Every time, uh, you know, Moreno caught a ball in the nuts or caught, (laughs) caught a bat to the head. I mean, you know, we we went into full blown panic mode. Yeah, fortunately, the D backs had a long layoff between those injury scares and their next game, right. as they were both clinchers, I believe. You know, I, I just think that it, it's really short sighted not to uh, focus on upgrading um, backup catcher to a serious backup that can actually step in. 
Um, you know, like Mike said, they're only going to have Gabby catch 110 or 120 games. That's if he's healthy and everything's going well. Yeah. Right? And this is a guy that, you know, had a bum shoulder, non-throwing shoulder, but he had a bum shoulder for over a month that he hurt swinging a bat. And, and, and how, what, he missed five five weeks, five plus weeks? I think he missed three, I think he missed three weeks. With... Uh, I think he was on the IL for a month. I think he was on the injured list for close to a month. But, I mean, he was barely playing. Back when everyone was screaming and crying about uh, why Carson they, Kelly. Why are they playing Carson Kelly? They were just not being forthcoming with the fact that Moreno was hurt. I mean, he hurt that shoulder very early in July, like July 1st. I think, yeah, it was like a week before the all-star game or something like that. He hurt yeah. himself in BP. Yeah. And he, he did, uh, you know, hit the IL until what, July 19th or something. Like I that. think, I think it was on the IL July 23rd and then they brought him back on the 13th of August. Okay. All right. So yeah, I mean, I stand corrected by the way. It was a three week stint on, on the IL. Um, but the point is, is that, I mean, if it, he wasn't really able to play, he kept trying to play through it and then it didn't work. Finally, they shut him down for several weeks, and then he came back. So, I mean, here's a guy that's already missed time with a sore shoulder. Um, he's small. He's really not big at all. He's not a big guy, right? No. He's not very tall. He's he's a little catcher body-ish, but he's not fat, you know. Um, and he's a guy that the, the team is being very forthright about, you know, they're not expecting him to go out and catch 125, 30 games. So if you're looking at 110 to 120 games started, then you're going to need a backup catcher for 40 to 50 games if he doesn't have any injuries. Yep. And 40 to 50 games in the hands of Jose Herrera is, is not a pretty thing. It just doesn't. Yeah, the, the numbers bear that out. So, you know, I think I think they need a legitimate – decent number two backup catcher. And, and a lot of guys have gone by the wayside here and they don't have a lot of money left. And they, you know, the DH is still the priority. So, you know, somewhere along the line, they're going to have to make a trade. Um, yeah, was... Maybe the way to go, if they've only got like, I mean, before they signed Guriel, Nick Ricoro was trying to say the team only had $7 million left to spend. And then they signed Guriel for, you know, $42 million, 10 million and 24. So obviously they went above that projection. So how much higher are they going to go? Um, so maybe the way to go here is to, you know, make a trade for another bat and then go and sign the best catcher you can get and call it an off season, go sign some minor league uh, free agents for, for pitch for bullpen and, you know, throw that stuff up against the wall and see what sticks if anything and go from there. Yeah, usually when the D-backs make a trade, it's a player you're not anticipating they trade for. And then you're kind of off the radar, but then you re- when the trade's made, it's like, oh, this makes sense now. Right, right. I mean, um, I guess we can just call that a Mike Hazen special. Yeah. You know, he managed like Obviously, Zach, Zach Gallon wasn't anyone, on anyone's radar in 19. Right. And then... Uh, well, this is a tight-lipped front office. I mean, like, you, you just... It, the reason you'll hear more about it when they're talking to a free agent is because the, the agents of the player let it out. Um, yep. So, you know, all they got to do is pick up the phone and, and uh, it, you know, find, Hey, what's, you know, so-and-so going to cost? Well, that agent then leaks it out. And we all write about with bated breath about how the Diamondbacks will link to free agent X. 
you know, when really 90% of that's just doing due diligence and calling and checking in and finding out what a guy is going to cost. Uh, yeah, but when gonna... to make a trade, it's almost like we never hear anything until all of a sudden, like it's semi-official. Like if I remember the Rodriguez signing, uh, it was less than 12 hours after the, uh, Gambo said the Dimebacks were one of the teams on Rodriguez. And then this, the report that the signing came out, I forget what it was, it was two o'clock versus eight o'clock. It was like six hours. Well, if I remember, yeah. there was one um, extremely intelligent analyst that uh, projected that he would be perhaps the best fit among all the free agent starters. <laughs> oh, it was you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a good call, Michael. Yeah. I mean, what was it? Name, nine names I put on there. There was a report on five that they checked in on at least five of them. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, you know, I think that's kind of where all of that stands. I mean, kind of talking through this, it seems like the most sensible thing for them to do would be to go and make a trade, go get a catcher, yep. go sign a catcher, and then, you know, finish, you know, tidy up the ship. Yeah, tie up a ship. Maybe you look at maybe an Elvis Andrews as a backup shortstop, kind of give you a little bit of insurance in case Perdomo either gets hurt or can only play 100 to 110 games at shortstop. Kind of. And since he's probably going to be available on a one year deal, it doesn't block Lawler if he's not ready. Yeah, shortstop is the area that we haven't really talked about. And that's another bit of a conundrum um, because, you know, Geraldo Podomo, number one, he just doesn't hit lefties at all. No. Um, I think he had a 64 WRC plus last year against lefties, and he's just always been weak against left-hand pitching. It's the quality and, contact, too. Yeah, I mean, Justin it's the main. is, I mean, you know, he so outperformed his uh, batted ball metrics, you know, the first six, seven weeks of the season. Um, it was just ridiculous, you know, what I mean. When, when did his batting average finally dip under 400? You know, it was like sometime in May. Um, yeah, it was like Perdomo. Perdomo had a, probably a lot of hits on X, uh, balls that had an XBA in the 700 plus, 700, 800 range. Was, uh, I would say 500, 700, sorry. You know, but it, at the same time, you know, Lawler hasn't earned taking over the full-time job from him. It's just that, you know, they... It was really unfortunate last year that Nick Ahmed failed so miserably against left-handed pitching, right? I mean, he yeah been good against left-handed pitching his entire career. And then last year, he puts up a seven WRC plus against lefties. And that kind of like really screwed up the whole program because, you know, that, that should have been a pretty good platoon. An aging yeah. Ahmed that needs time off, still playing above average defense, wasn't as good as he used to be, but still above average. And his whole career, he hit left-handed pitching above average. Yep. And then couldn't hit a lefty to save his life, and they really needed that with him platooning. So, you know, they took the shot with Lawler, unfortunately, despite hitting 350 with 1,000 OPS. And Reno clearly wasn't ready. He was overmatched. Yeah. Uh, you know, so what do you do now? Like, do you just run him back out there and let him play part-time? Do you let him take over the full-time job and make Perdomo the utility infielder. Lawler hasn't earned that. You know, now what if he goes out and hits 397 in spring? Yeah. The thing about Elvis Andres, if you were to sign him 
Obviously, he gives you coverage in case Lawler isn't ready. And if Lawler is ready, you look for a trade for a team that maybe has a shortstop injury in spring training. Shortstop or second base injury. Perdomo on May 3rd was still hitting 409 with a 109 OPS. (laughs) It was 77 plate appearances. You know, and then from May 5th to the end of the year, what did he do? From May 5th through the end of the season, he hit 214 with a 332 on base and a 305 slug. You know, so his 332 on base was reasonable. That was, you know, he had 57 walks from that point forward. Um, got hit by pitch five times. So, I mean, he managed to get on base, but the guy, you know, Hit 409 through May 3rd and then 214 from May 5th on over his next 418 plate appearances. Um, you know, if Gerardo Podomo hits 240 again next year, I'd be really surprised. You know, so. Yeah, just, yeah XBA had him at 204. Yeah. I mean, if I mean, he may be a guy that man, you know, he, he could be a guy that tends to hit for a little higher average than you expect him to hit. Um, yeah, hitting a lot of like little flares, you know, in between the infield and the outfield, and it may not look pretty or sexy on the batted ball metrics, right? Because the low exit velo. Also, but, he takes more extra bases than on average, I believe, as well. So, yeah. what would be singles for about eighty percent of players turns into a double. But, you know, I, I just think that we we need to, re, you know, really exercise a lot of caution in, in how much they depend on him. And I think a big part of that was, you know, they had to play him more against lefties than they really wanted to, you know, where his numbers were considerably worse than they were against righties. So, you know, I mean, I was a little surprised they let go of Diego Castillo, who hits lefties well and can play shortstop. I, I thought that if they didn't want to go with Lawler, you know, playing off the bench in a part-time platoon role to start the year. Uh, and they, But they wanted somebody with major league experience. Castillo could have been that guy. But they had to make a roster decision, put him on waivers, and now he's gone. Maybe uh, that's why it took so long to get the signing out. It had, to been a hard, it had to have been a hard decision. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was a difficult decision, and I'm sure they wanted to wait and see if anybody put in a claim and all that. Um so, you know, and then you have Blaze Alexander, who's, you know, probably a very viable backup shortstop. But the problem is, is he's got zero major league experience. Yep. So he's got less experience than Lawler at this point. I, I personally, I, I am not on the same page as a lot of other people when it comes to this. I don't think it would be a major tragedy for Lawler to start the year on the bench against right-handed pitching and slowly work his way into that role. I mean, that's how it used to be. Now, of course, with top prospects, they're trying to... Uh, I mean, the one downside to that is if you put Lawler on the Major League roster, you might want to... They might be... They might try to play the sunk cost fa- fallacy and try and uh, play him every day to see if he, they can, he can get that Rookie of the Year award, even though he's probably like... He's probably not even in the top five if you pulled up betting odds. I really don't think that that's going to... The way Mike Hazen thinks... Yeah. I don't think he cares about that. I mean, he, sure, it's a nice to have, but they're not going to make 
those kinds of decisions based on chasing that draft pick. They're just not. That's not what they do. It's not how they think. Um, yeah, it's... We think like that, but they don't. And obviously, in the Corbin Carroll case, he, Corbin Carroll is probably the best prospect to ever come up through their entire farm system. So there was a high chance they were going to get a draft pick out of him as opposed to Lawler, who's probably not in discussion for best, but certainly you could say maybe a top 10 prospect that came through their system yeah. all time. I mean, look, if Lawler has a bad spring and, you know, isn't hitting or whatever, then you do what you got to do. But, I mean, if he's having a decent spring, I really have no problem with letting him, you know, play 54 games out of, you know, one-third of the games, 54 of 108, or started by left-hand pitchers. So he's going to start at least one out of every three games. Then every time that, you know, Marte or Suarez has an owie and, you know, uh, Perdomo has to move around, you know, well, that may come against a right-handed pitcher sometimes, right? It's not like Lawler's yeah. face right-handed pitching. Um, if he starts a game against the lefty and the D-backs have a lead or, you know, or it's in the middle innings when they change the pitcher to a right-handed pitcher, he's still going to get, you know, to bat against right-handed relievers. It's not like immediately he's going to get pinch hit for it. Uh, you know, and then there'll be plenty of opportunities to uh, bring him in as a pinch runner and defensive replacement. And, you know, uh, the first half of the season, maybe he plays, you know, starts a third of the games. And then by the second, if he's hitting and Perdomo's not, then he's earned the opportunity for more playing time. And when it's, when it's all said and done, you know, he may end up with 400, 450 plate appearances. Hard to say, right? You yeah. know, maybe. Maybe he only gets 150 plate appearances through the All-Star break and then plays almost every day post-All-Star break. So all the hand-wringing over, you know, Lawler, it just, to me, there, there are legitimate arguments to be made about, you know, he just he didn't get the ball out of the infield and he's not ready yet and he needs several more months. But that hitting environment in Reno is so questionable anyway it just inflates you it. know lawler's gonna hit like 350 the ops of 1100 in reno yeah exactly that's right? what players with major league major league talent are gonna do in that environment yeah is that gonna make him a, a better major league hitter i don't know is that really you know how much more is is he gonna have to prove in triple a and in, in that you know in an environment where teams are scoring six runs a game i mean i don't know i don't, I don't know how meaningful six runs a game and stuff is nerfed yeah. on top of it due to elevation. Right. So, you know, uh, at this point, the shortstop situation, uh, again, I was a little, so I thought Castillo was valuable depth and even a potential guy. Like if they did want to put Lawler in Reno, then have, you know, start off with Castillo and if, you know, let him play a month, see how that's going. And then, then go to waivers. But uh, my, my guess is, Lawler is going to be on the opening day roster. If you, if you put a gun in my head right now, Lawler is going to be on the opening day roster one way or the other. Right. That's my opinion. Unless he has a really crappy swing. I mean, you know, if he if he's if he's not hitting at all again in spring training, then I'll send him back to Reno. And uh, what would be the backup plan in case Lawler had a poor spring at shortstop? Would you go get somebody that maybe someone that got cut? At the end of spring, or would you roll uh, with some roll with it, internal options? I mean, they may do. You know, they like you said, they may pick up a guy. You know that uh, that they can sign to. I mean, can you get uh, Andres to a uh, 
to a minor league deal or is he going to get a major league deal? I think he's going to get a major league deal because he can still play shortstop at a fairly high level mm-hmm. despite his age. Yeah, because, I mean, outside of Alexander, now with Castillo gone, I mean, there really isn't anybody else close to the majors that you could turn to, right? Yeah. So, anyway, that's kind of where I where I stand on all that. All right, so... Thanks everyone for watching. We'll get this up and make sure if you enjoyed the content, make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave a like on the video. We'll be covering the Di- Jack and I will be covering the Dimebacks when whatever offseason moves they make over the next six weeks. Spring training opens up on February 14th, I believe. Yes, it that's does. when the that's yeah. when coverage on Inside Dimebacks is going to be ramping up. You can find that at si.com slash MLB slash Dimebacks. I'll uh, be back just in time for the start of spring training. I'll be taking a trip overseas to Asia, but I'll be back by the night of February 12th, just in time for the beginning of spring training. In the meantime, signing off here and see you all soon.